don't mind me. You're good. Keep talking. I'm just kidding. Hey, if you have your Bibles, open them up to, I bet you guessed it, the book of Romans. Uh, Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 15 today. And uh, we're going to just try to get as far as we can. My best guess is we'll get through the first 13 verses. That's my best guess. So uh, thank you again uh, for having me. Um, I guess uh, my son, every time I come home, he's three years old, just turned three. And he always goes, runs from a bedroom or the living room, the kitchen or something by our front door. And he goes, you're back. I love that. It's the greatest way to feel welcomed at our house. So I'm back. Thank you for having me back. And uh, so honored to be doing this. I love to teach God's word uh, to hungry people. And so uh, you're hungry people. And I'm going to do my part uh, in uh, trying to feed us well tonight. Okay. So let me pray for us uh, and then we'll move on. Father, you uh, uh, are such a good father. And uh, you, the Bible tells us that you are the giver of good gifts. And one of the great gifts that you have given us is the treasure of your word. And tonight what we ask is that um, as we open your word, we see um, not just the grammatics or the, you know, just even theological points, uh, but that we see you in the word um, and that we get this in our hearts. And as we get it in our hearts, uh, may it transform us and uh, may it make us different people. Um, it's not enough to come in here and learn and uh, gain knowledge. Your word says that knowledge puffs up and we get really arrogant and prideful when we feel like we know a bunch of stuff. Uh, but God, we're not interested in knowledge today. We're interested in gleaning some information so that our hearts can experience some transformation today. And so God, you've, uh, in your sovereign will, uh, allowed us uh, to journey with Paul as he writes to a group of people in Rome, uh, some new believers with various different backgrounds. And God, we get to glean some great principles from that tonight. So God, be with me tonight uh, and uh, give me the words to say uh, and uh, give us ears to hear, not from me, but from your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the story is told of a great preacher um, as a matter of fact, uh, they called him the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he was a Baptist guy uh, by the name of Charles Spurgeon. Anybody ever heard of him? Charles Spurgeon, uh, not alive now, just so you know, if you haven't heard of him, he's an old dead guy. Uh, I had a pastor tell me one time, you should read old dead guys. Uh, that's a good thing because there's a lot of wisdom in these guys who have gone on. And uh, so anyway, if you've never read Spurgeon, I would highly recommend uh, picking up some stuff from him. But um, the interesting story about Spurgeon was that he, uh, there was an aspect of his relationship uh, with God that he enjoyed a particular freedom uh, and liberty, uh, a thing that he didn't necessarily feel conviction about. Uh, and so he just did it. He wasn't abusing it. He wasn't brazen about it. Uh, but he enjoyed cigars. That was his thing. Uh, you can even Google pictures of Charles Spurgeon. There are oftentimes when he would be studying, uh, to write books or write an article, uh, or even sermons, uh, this guy, uh, would be, uh, smoking a stogie. Now, uh, he felt no conviction about that, no problem at all. Uh, it was a liberty, one of these gray areas that we've talked about for the last, now this would be the third week. Um, and one day, the story is told where he was walking down the road, uh, we don't really know where, uh, but in one of those storefronts, there was a sign, uh, and the sign read, we sell the same cigar that Charles Spurgeon smokes. 
In that moment, he had a decision to make. And the Spirit of God grabbed a hold of his heart. And it was in that moment that he decided to forego his liberty and his right to smoke cigars because he didn't want to do anything to cause men, maybe even women, to stumble into that. And uh, the story goes on to sell in other areas as well that uh, even children and, uh, and young adults would say, hey, Spurgeon did it, and that's what he feared, was that he would cause people to stumble and fall into a pattern uh, of behavior uh, that would send them maybe the other direction uh, uh, than what they really wanted to go. And so in this story, we actually find uh, what Paul has been communicating about for the last several weeks in Romans 14 and honestly going into Romans 15. Uh, we learned last week that if there is anything that causes a brother or a sister to stumble or to fall into sin, that we willingly, like Spurgeon, lay down that right. We willingly lay down uh, that right and that freedom. Now, let me ask you a question. Runners, are you ready? Are we ready? I don't see you. There we go. All right. We got some excitement in the back. You didn't get the joy of seeing that like I did. They were jumping up and down with their hands raised. So let me ask you this question. Uh, why do we lay down that freedom? If you weren't here last week, you can take a stab at it. Why do we lay down that freedom? There we go, right up here. Yeah, watch out. You might get hit with a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because God honors you for when lying down your freedom. Okay. It's putting God's grace and nope, hey. honoring. Yes. What else? We got more? Come on, bring it. I need all three of you close down here, right here first. If it would cause your brother to stumble... Then, if you smoke cigars, then, and it's perhaps not appropriate in his heart to do that, you might cause him to weaken and do that too, and then you've kind of caused him or created temptation for him. So by laying it down willingly, you are sacrificing your freedom for the safety and protection of your brother. Well said. Well said. Anybody else want to add anything to that? Okay, right here. Hold on here. We'll come back. Right back here. Are you ready? Yes, so the other people may grow. In order that people may grow. Okay. Yes. Right down front. There we go. Uh, our goal as Christians is to be more like Christ. Okay. Great. Yeah, that's a great addition. Right here, bud. Uh, the, that brotherly love. Brotherly love. That's right. Great answers. Anybody want to add anything else? Okay, so uh, the reason, and yes, those are, none of that's wrong. That's all right. Uh, the reason that we willingly forfeit those freedoms uh, is because we love them. And we want to see them grow in their relationship with God. We want to, uh, we love them and we want to build them up and not 
tear them down and destroy them, uh, which, again, if you weren't here, if you want to go back and watch that, that'd be great. Uh, but we want to build them up for their growth. We're more about promoting their growth uh, than condemning every little idiosyncrasy of every single thing that they do. Um, so notice here in uh, chapter 15, the conversation actually doesn't end. It actually kind of He kind of reiterates himself a little bit and says it in a different way. And so maybe it can help it stick a different way for you. And what I would say it like this, if I was going to do points, uh, I would give the first point is this. uh, Notice the responsibility of the stronger. If I was going to give you one point to start with, that's what I would say is he calls out the responsibility of the strong believer. He says in verse one, chapter 15, are you there? It didn't convince me. Are you there? All right, cool. Cool. Here we go. Verse one, uh, we who are stronger or who are strong, do you notice what Paul just did right there? He lumped himself into the strong category. He said, no, we who are strong uh, have no obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Uh, uh, Paul, let, let me break down a few, a little bit of this language for you really quick. Uh, Paul says that we who are strong, uh, those are the people that have been in the faith a little bit longer. Uh, you could say mature. He's not giving you a year. <laughs> I've been in the faith for five years or 15 years. It's not like that. It's just those that have been in a while who have been in a relationship with Jesus for a while have an obligation. That word circled in your Bible and it's like indebted to, or we owe the weaker brothers and the weaker sisters something. So those of us who have been in the faith a little longer than the next gal or the next guy, uh, we owe them something. What is it? He says uh, that we owe or we are obligated to bear uh, with their failings or uh, their weak points. Now that word bear is interesting. Uh, It means to endure. It means to endure. Uh, so what Paul is saying here is uh, he's, he's kind of referring a little bit back to chapter 14. He's saying, hey, in place of that super condemning, pointing the finger, judging, uh, we are going, we, we've moved beyond that. We've had a lot of discussion about that. Uh, and now we have an obligation. We literally owe, we're indebted to our younger brothers and sisters to walk with them. To journey with them. Maybe you could say to live life with them. And to help them endure. So our role... What, let me start with this. The language in these first 13-ish verses have so much to do with family. And you notice that the church and, 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 and the, the believers together, younger and weaker and seasoned and fresh into the pan, so to speak, if you want to use that metaphor. Uh, these people, like we're, we're in this together and we're family and we're one, we're a community. And so we do things just a little bit differently uh, than everybody else. We, uh, so in that, uh, we journey with them and we bear uh, with their weaknesses. Now, let me ask you a question. Don't answer this. This is totally not a runner question, uh, but how many of us get frustrated when people aren't moving as fast as we'd like for them to move? So if you drive an electric truck, you honked at me today because I wasn't moving as fast as you wanted me to move today. I was exiting off almost school and I got honked and just, it's 
probably because I was looking over my notes while I was driving. Sorry, just time for confession. That's just true, true story. Uh, but uh, th- so often in our life, when people aren't moving at the rate at which we think they should, we get frustrated with them. Why are you still uh, not where I think that you should be? I'm that way with my kids all the time. My three-year-old, why don't you know how to flush the toilet? He's three. He's just now learning how to potty train. Of course, he doesn't really know all that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm 34 and I rarely remember to do that too, if I'm just being honest. A little too much information for you, right? It's okay. It's all good. Uh, but um, so we, we do this uh, and, uh, and, and we rush people. And really what Paul's saying is that's not what we do in the faith. We don't, we don't rush them in their spiritual maturity. We don't expect them. And we hit this a lot last week to be where we are. Uh, we, we journey with them together. And the way that we journey with them together is by bearing their burdens. God calls us uh, to bear uh, with our younger brothers and sisters. We don't tolerate uh, their weaknesses, uh, but we get... Now, let me be really careful because you're going to think I'm saying something I'm not. God's called us to bear with them in their struggle, to get in it with them. And now I know you're going to say, well, Aaron said we're supposed to do it with them. I didn't say that. I didn't say that you're supposed to join in with them. But I am saying that God's called you to journey with them, those who are stronger, to get kind of in the mud, so to speak, with these other brothers and sisters who are struggling. And we kind of like Jesus. Let me let me caveat here. Jesus in the Gospels, uh, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Powerful story. And a lot of us focus on little, very many different things in that story where she was exposed and she was thrown into this giant crowd and she was naked before all the people and she was totally vulnerable. She was caught in the act. You, you picture it. And then the Bible says that these guys wanted to stone her and kill her. And nobody went and chased after the guy because both of them were punishable by their laws. So nobody's talking about the dude. They're only talking about the girl, which is a lot of problems with that. Uh, and then the Bible says that Jesus, interesting word, uh, stoops down next to her and uh, we debate on what in the world did Jesus say and what was he writing and uh, some scholars believe he was writing the names and the sins of all those accusers who were uh, standing before her and accusing her. I think he did do that because the story does say uh, that the eldest left first aka the wisest and most full of sin in their life. If they don't want all their stories and all their struggles, Frank looks at porn. Jack beats his wife. All these things. You know what I'm saying? Like he didn't, they, they got it. So the older ones, they just tucked their tails and they ran and they left. And the Bible says that Jesus stooped beside her. Same concept in the, in the gospel of John, where the Bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. So the word uh, is the word logos, which is uh, then tells us 14 or 16 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the living word of God. And so the Bible says that in the beginning was the word. Jesus was up in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then verse 14, verse 16 says that he became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the picture of God using Jesus to stoop down to humanity and come to them right where they are. That's what Jesus did right there with the woman with the uh, that was caught in the act of adultery. Stoop down. I mean, it really doesn't matter if he was writing their sins because that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that Jesus is a stupor. 
He gets down next to people in their stuff. And he's not afraid of the mess. He's not afraid of the journey of where we are in our current struggle. That's why he left heaven. So that he could come down into our mess of a world. And redeem and save you and save me. He did it for that woman. He did it for me. Maybe he's done it for you. I hope he has. And if he hasn't, he can do it tonight. Trust me, you can talk to me afterwards. So here's this. That's your call. That's my call. That's what God's called us in the church to do is to stoop, to get knee to knee is might be a way to say that, to get elbow to elbow, eyeball to eyeball, not in these massive groups, but connected with other smaller groups of people to live life with these people and to stoop with them, to walk through the messiness, younger to older, older to younger, mature believer to younger believer. Like it's you're, no Christian is exempt from extending a hand back to discipling somebody and walking through life with them and then reaching their hand forward to get taught by somebody who's more mature than them. Like we don't graduate on to better things. That's just the nature of our life. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As Paul did to Timothy, as Paul did to Titus, therefore we do to those. Jesus did it. Peter, James, and John, he had his, and then he connected with the Father. Why wouldn't we be doing the same thing? And that is bearing... I'm sorry, I'm fire hydrant. I get it. I understand. But that is what Paul is getting at, is that we bear with one another. He says in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2 that we share... The New Living Translation says that we share one another's burdens. We bear one another's burdens. We walk through life journeying with other believers and lifting their head and lifting their eyes in the middle of their struggle, in the middle of their mess, and focusing them and pointing them in the direction of Jesus. That's what we do. And you don't have to be like the guy who has a theological library the size of Montana or a girl. One of my missionary friends in Indonesia, his dad is a missionary actually, and uh, and he's been there for his whole ministry career. And he, uh, the way he disciples people in Indonesia is, uh, he goes, "You're a pastor." If you've been a Christian one day longer than the guy behind you that you just led to the Lord. And he goes, you just got to be one step ahead of the guy behind you. And that's all that we have to be. You don't have to be the most mature. You just got to be one day season longer than that person and walk them towards Jesus. I remember a time in my life where uh, it was an intense struggle. And, uh, you know, ministry's tough. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Uh, lots of expectations on people, and uh, and uh, 2015 was the hardest year of my life. Let me let me. God called us to a church, from a church that we loved into a church that we were hoping to be at for a lifetime, and it just was a wrong fit. Within the context of that year, my wife got pregnant. We gave birth. I resigned from our church. We gave birth. We moved back to Oklahoma. My wife got diagnosed with cancer, and through all of that stuff, we're going. Are you kidding me, God? <laughs> Are you, I mean, Frankie mentioned Joseph. I've been reading a ton about Joseph uh, because uh, Joseph had a lot of are you kidding me moments in his life. Uh, Job had a lot of are you kidding me moments in his life. Uh, many of you could probably take this microphone and say, uh, I mean, I understand, but let me give you a few are you kidding me moments in, this, in, in my life. Um, and, and I'm telling you that to say this. If it weren't for the men and women super close to us that sat in our living room and prayed with us when we didn't know what to do, uh, cried with us, supported us, helped us load trucks more than one time uh, to move and then to ultimately end up out here. Um, 
those men and those women and those families bared the Swenson's burden for us. And they, when instead of getting tunnel vision locked into that moment of, like many of us do, it's like quicksand, we can't even breathe, all this stuff's happening, it's all, it's just piling in on us over and over and over again. It's like we're drowning in the awkwardness of life and circumstances and we can't catch a break. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, we've all been there, most of us. If you haven't been there, you're about to get there. That's just basically the way life works. You're either walking in one of those seasons, you're in it, or you're coming out of it, and you're going to get into another one later in your life. That's just the Christian journey, okay? Sorry, are you glad you came tonight? So, uh, anyway, through that, uh, those men and those women lifted up my head and lifted up my wife Joy's, uh, her head. They, they were the ones that took our kids when we needed just to talk. Uh, they brought us dinner, uh, you know, months after our kid was born. All of these things, they were just lifting us up. And that's what Paul is talking about. That's what, it's messy. Are you with me? It's mess. It's not easy. It's not always, uh, you know, cupcakes and, you know, uh, whatever you want to say. It's not always like that. Uh, but Paul has called us uh, to bear uh, with one another. And he's going in weakness, but God, ultimately what he's getting at is we bear with one another, uh, with their weaknesses, with their strengths, with their struggles. Paul's calling believers in Rome, new believers, uh, differing backgrounds. Y'all got to bear with one another. That's Oklahoma coming out in me. I'm sorry. Uh, but y'all got to do that. So let me ask you a question. What does bearing, uh, one another's burdens look like? What does that look like in real life? Yes, sir. It means you you help you help them lift it. You don't yeah. lift the whole thing for them. Good you point. help them lift it. It's like when you're weightlifting and you're trying to get that bar up and you have a spotter over you and he'll grab the bar and help you help to get you out of the tight situation. That's exactly right. That word uh, bear it actually means to lift a weight. Uh, and a uh, great picture. Yes, sir. Right here. Uh, You're good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> uh, so you take time to um, be there. You know. Yeah. Um, it's the talk's cheap, and and it's it's taking a time out to be actually be there and to meet them where they're at. What was that last phrase you just said? So to meet them where to meet them where they're, where they're at. at. Okay. Correct. Great. Phenomenal. Yes, sir. Or yes, ma'am. Sorry. Can you hear me? I think also, and with, especially in this context, there's an element of having mercy and understanding. And maybe even if you don't agree with what they did or went through or whatever, just be there with them and have mercy and forgiveness and show them the light and the way and the love and how they can, you know, great to be a new creation through Christ. Great point about the context. That's a great point. I think you were next. If they're struggling financially and you're able to financially help them, you can give them money yep. and not expect anything in return. Yeah. And um, also being there to continue to lift them up in prayer before yeah. God. Yes. Yes, sir. It's uh, serving, serving on a second Saturday, serving here at Cornerstone, com- serving in your community any way that you possibly can. That's right. We got any more? Right back here. 
I'd say to be more like mentoring and encouraging them. Yeah. Helping them understand where this path could lead them and how God is in it all the way. Yeah, that's great. Perfect. Does anybody want to share just because I'm interested uh, one of those moments in your life, kind of like I shared, where, man, I couldn't have made it through X, maybe got delivered from this specific sin, or, uh, or, or I couldn't have made it through that situation uh, in, unless I, one of these brothers or sisters uh, bared with me and, and, and helped me through that process. And I'm not saying you got to give me details, but uh, you never know. You might be uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, a voice of, uh, you're not the Holy Spirit, but that he could use you uh, to encourage another brother or sister tonight um, who might be struggling. Yes, sir. I just recently went through a lot of uh, problems with my vehicle, and I had to put a new engine in it, and I did not have the money to do it. And a brother in the Lord put everything on his charge card. Wow. Now, I'm working towards paying him back, but he was able to assist me through it all so that I could get up and going again. Wow. Amen. Do you get it? Have I beaten the bear horse, so to speak? You get it? Paul, he moves on a little bit. And, uh, to an interesting verse in verse two. Uh, well, let me let me let me connect the end of verse one and not pleasing ourselves uh, is probably the one of the most self-sacrificing things to do is to bear with one another, to walk through life with one. It takes a very unselfish person to get engaged at a life-on-life level like that. Um, and uh, can't really be about yourself in, in that context. It doesn't last very long. Um, verse two says, "Let each of us." Uh, please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. Um, you got to think about that. Like, what, what, okay, what, what is he saying? Please ourselves, then please our neighbor. What, what's going on here? Uh, this is really what Paul's getting at. Is Paul's, where, where he's going is he's saying, um, you and I have, uh, it, it is a determined adjustment of our lifestyle uh, to whatever will contribute to the spiritual growth of a person. That's what we're going to focus on, is we're going to make a deliberate choice of adjusting what we're doing uh, to contribute to the growth of another person. And, uh, and I think we've already mentioned several of those uh, already tonight. So Paul is trying to get the Romans and you and, and me uh, to lean away from critical words and the looking down on our nose and finger pointing uh, and to replace, to adjust... Uh, uh, what uh, they are doing and what we're doing in our lives. Uh, we have to have a spirit of a builder, not a spirit of a destroyer. God's calling us to be a spirit of a builder. And we've already mentioned it tonight, uh, but, but, but it's, it's really, Paul is getting at this. You can't get away from the concept of having a relationship with somebody who you talk about this stuff with. And who you talk about this stuff with, and who you talk about this stuff with, with what's going on in your mind, and what you're feeling, and what you're thinking, and what you're walking through. Like Paul is really getting at this thing that bearing with one another, growing with one another, being in relationship 
relationship with one another is just that. It's being together uh, and having that kind of looking backward to mentoring and discipling somebody and looking forward and getting mentored and uh, discipled. So let me ask you a question with this. Uh, you know, um, how, if Paul's telling us to build uh, these believers up, those who are strong, our call is to, again, the responsibility of the strong is to build. Um, uh, so what in the world, where we bear and then we build, those are two sub points if you like to do that. Um, so how in the world do we build one another up? How do we actually do that? We've talked about mentoring, so that's off the table, but specifically, how do we do that? Encouragement? How so? Hold on, right here. I, I don't know. I can't see who said it. Okay. So how, how, what do you mean by encouragement? Drill down on that a little bit. Like, you can do it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. The constant chirping in the ear of, you can do it, you got this. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think maybe, uh, can I add something to that? Is that okay? Sure. I think something like this would be the, uh, don't be the annoying texter. You know what I'm saying? But you guys have those in your life. I heard a couple Snickers. Uh, everybody has one. And if you don't have one, you probably are that one. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, it's that, that moment where uh, you see somebody, again, post something on Facebook or you hear something in the office or you get an email and then it's the, hey, I'm praying for you. Love you. Uh, if I can help you with anything. That, man, that is a practical piece to building one another up. Especially if you're like in a small church with somebody or you're in a life group with somebody or a ladies Bible study or a men's group or something. Like, don't just attend. Like, that's boring. <laughs> just attending is boring. Uh, but really getting invested into the lives of people, that's when it gets super fun, man. I mean, that's when you begin to make the memories that you'll look back on 15 years from now and go, I cannot even believe how far God has brought me or how far God has brought them. That's what's super fun is when you begin to look and say, man, look how far God has brought that person and how they've grown. And maybe you played a, a part in that. So practical piece is, again, don't be the annoying, uh, you know, texter, but a simple way of encouragement and building them up that way. Uh, constantly chirping in Jesus in their ear would be really cool. Yeah. I don't know who's next, but right here, maybe. Sorry if that's not true, but yeah, there we go. I was going to say, uh, demonstrate the behavior, right? So if you see something or you just want to show them how you live out uh, a certain aspect of your life and show them that it's it's not as difficult and mystical as it seems. It's just every day taking another step. So just kind of demonstrate how you handle yeah, yeah. the situation. Uh, there's a verse that Paul says, uh, and uh, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Uh, so what that means is Paul's not necessarily puffing himself up. What he's saying is I'm following after Jesus uh, and I'm doing everything I can to be like him. So follow me as I do that. Am I perfect? No. Am I going to fall? Yep. Am I going to sin? <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, Paul called himself a chief of sinners. Okay. So, but he's saying, follow me as I follow Jesus. The key principle of that, uh, which is what our, our friend said back here, modeling. You're modeling the behavior with which you want uh, the person that you're living life with uh, to do. Like we do that with our kids, right? Do you model the behavior that you want your kids to have? We, do you? Yeah, I don't know why we don't do that with our, like, like spiritually. Like, really apply the same principles uh, there as well. Great point, great point. Yes, whoever's next. I don't know who's next. I think maybe you... Yeah, there's, uh, there's an author that uh, really has struck me. His name's Patrick Morley. He's uh, started the Man in the Mirror uh, mission. He's an author. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he really speaks to this uh, 
specifically, and one of the quotes that's always stuck with me is the, uh, he mentioned the only part of life that crosses the threshold between this world and the next is the human soul. So if we want to make a contribution to forever, then we should become more interested in the other person and spend time helping them to break the code on how to gain eternal life. So Amen. I try to put it in context of breaking the code, and that's just maturity. Yeah, great point. Great point. Okay, it's about equipping, empowering, and encouraging those around us, but I think it's a time commitment. It's not a drive-through connection with people. We're not reaching a quota, and it's about quality. And I think as Christians, we need to remember that we come alongside somebody, we are choosing to walk beside them no matter what. And it takes time of walking with them through their downs, through their ups, no matter what. And God might bring one person for life that we engage with, that we pour into. God might bring 10, 20, 100. But it's about giving them our time, giving them our investment, and knowing that God will continue to call that person into our lives and that we are to be engaged in equipping them for the journey because there's those coming up behind them that God's going to use for them to guide Mm -hmm. and walk alongside. So let me ask this using your words, which I liked, equipping. And maybe we can just ask the same question, but inserting that word. How do we equip people in the Lord? It's a really churchy way of saying it, but I don't know any other way to say it. Uh, I mean, how do, so that's the same way as building up. How do we help them grow in their relationship with the Lord? How do we uh, walk them through a process of maturity? And I think it's time. I think it's modeling. Uh, I think it's encouragement. Uh, but I want you to drill even more down into that and really force yourself to go uh, super practical. Uh, what would it be? We got one here and one here. Both one run right up front and one right there. I think it's really important to educate yourself and your mentor. Okay. Because without, if you don't know what you're saying, you can lead them down the wrong path by accident. Mm-hmm. Right here. Great point. Hello. I was just going to say the same thing, just uh, to read the word every day and... That makes the biggest difference, too, on how, what you feel and what you know. Um, yeah. Let me, let me help you with this. Can I help you? Can I give you a nugget that I didn't plan for? Uh, I don't know how you read the Bible, but I do know that a lot of people read the Bible like this. Are you ready? They sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. Oh, man. What does that even mean? It's Judges 20. Awesome. I don't even know. And they're like, this book is dumb. That's what they say. Because it doesn't apply. That doesn't even work. And many of us are playing Russian roulette with God's word. And, and so uh, here, here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. Uh, I heard this years ago. Systematic study of God's word. That's a really big word or phrase. But there's nothing wrong with it. 
Um, and, and let me just tell you what I do, because I don't want to play roulette with God's word. I don't want to just go all over the place. Every word has a, a, a point, or every sentence has a point. Every paragraph has a point. Every chapter has a main theme. Every book has a purpose. All of it has, there's a reason for it. And so you can go pick up a devotional book. You can do Beth Moore, Priscilla Schreier, all you want. That's no big deal. Uh, but there's nothing wrong with being a man or a woman of the book, of the Bible. And so uh, I, I think the Bible is enough. Uh, I think the Bible's always been enough. I think the Bible will always be enough. And so uh, you could go to the Gospel of John. You want to know more about Jesus and who he really was? The Gospel of John tells us that all the books in all the world couldn't tell us all that Jesus had done. Uh, but this book, John, was written so that you may believe. And so the whole point of the Gospel of John is if you're struggling with belief in who Jesus is and what he said and what he did, run to the Gospel of John. And the only reason I knew that is because I studied the Gospel of John. And so I opened it up and I just picked it out little paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. And you want to know what I do? This is how I do it. I'm letting you into my brain, okay? Letting you into my world. Uh, I learned this years ago. Soap. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not just Irish Spring or Lever 2000 or Dove. Start with Scripture. So what I do is I read a couple of passages, maybe a, a paragraph or, or a couple of chapters a day, and I read it, and then I just keep reading, maybe, and I plan it out, two to three chapters or two to three paragraphs right there, and I just keep reading until something hits me. And then when, man, that verse stands out, uh, man, I write that down in a journal. I write that verse word for word, and then I go back. So that's scripture, and then I look at observation. That's why I read kind of chunks at a time. And so you read a couple of paragraphs at a time, and uh, you observe What's John saying? What's Roman saying? What's Paul saying to the people at Rome? What's happening around the story? Uh, because that gives you the context, lets you know a little more about what that verse means. Uh, and then after you observe S O U A, you apply. Uh, and so in light of whatever that verse is, I should have brought my journal. I could have given you an example. Uh, apply uh, that verse. So this verse means now I must do this or God's called me to confess this or I've got to uh, think this way and shift my thinking this way. And then after that, I pray and I jot down a little prayer and you don't have to do 45 pages of journaling a day. You can put it one page, half page, put it in your phone, whatever you've got to do. Uh, and that's not the only way, but that is a way that you can build yourself up and then, hey, here's a really cool idea. What if you decided with another guy, with guy, girl, with girl, you said, you know what? We're going to read the book of Ephesians and we're going to read a chapter a day and then we're going to meet, uh, you know, this week and we're going to talk about what God showed us. That's how you reach back and you reach forward and you get in there, get a good study Bible uh, and start digging away into God's word and that's how you're going to begin to build yourself up uh, and grow in maturity uh, with, to the Lord. Now, not just Reading for information, reading for information is not good. Read for transformation. So it's going to take a little bit more time. It's going to take a little bit more work on your part because some of us, uh, we don't even understand it. So get a good translation. And I can talk to you more about that afterwards. And I didn't even plan on telling you all this, but some of us need a little bit of help. By the way, you can also go to YouVersion, phone uh, app on your phone. Does anybody have that app on your phone? Start a reading plan. And get in a group of people and do the same thing I just said. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And talk about what God's doing in your life. Because that's how you're going to learn how to build yourself up and encourage other people uh, to get into God's Word. So, didn't plan on that, but uh, that was free of charge, okay? Okay, great. So, uh, now, 
he goes into this interesting thing, um, and, and he goes into verse 3, and uh, he says, So let us uh, uh, please uh, his neighbor uh, or, uh, for his good, uh, to build him up, for Christ uh, didn't please himself. So he says, hey, don't think about yourself, uh, and you're going to be like Christ, which we've already said, most of us have said that. Uh, Christ didn't please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches, or the word can be insults, of those who reproach you uh, fell on me. Now he's quoting Psalm 69 verse 9 uh, and he is taking the you and turning that to God and taking the me and reflecting on himself. So he's saying uh, about, this is this is Jesus, this is what Jesus would say. Um, lost my, there it is. The reproaches of those who reproach you, the, the people who insult you, God, uh, they have fallen on me. Now, uh, he goes into this and then he says in verse four. So let me, let me back up just a little bit. Because he quoted Psalm 69, uh, nine, he is total rabbit trailing. Okay. He's doing what preachers do. So he gets, a, his hot topic is, uh, that the word of God is powerful. Paul's a word guy. Paul is a Bible guy. And, uh, so he quotes Psalm 69, nine, uh, about Jesus saying, Hey, he didn't please himself. Uh, and he was a servant and he sacrificed, uh, his rights, uh, to, for everyone else. That's what the cross was all about. He sacrificed his life for your life so that he died so that you could live. And so that's what the cross was all about. And so he, he says that he gets this passionate moment and then he interjects a moment where he's like, oh yeah, hey, by the way, verse four, this is what he says, for uh, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So Paul's throwing out this major caveat and going, oh, 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 since I quoted the Old Testament, I know there are people out there that think the Old Testament is so Old Testament, and we're now, we're in the New Testament era. Well, contrary to what you might think, these people still were, they were in the time of, just after Christ had resurrected from the dead and then ascended into heaven, but they didn't have the book of Romans yet. They didn't have all these, the, the, the Bible that you're holding in your hands. They were pulling things from the Old Testament. So to say things like that, so Old Testament, and we don't live like that anymore, go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, and let me show you what Jesus said about this. You all know this yet? In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet of the new covenant of what it means to have a, a savior, to have a Messiah. And he says in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 17, everybody's like, that's so Old Testament and the law, uh, we don't have to do that anymore. And Jesus in the New Testament says these words, verse 17, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, the Old Testament. If you need any clarity on that, Jesus said... Do not think. That means stop thinking that way. <laughs> Do not think that I have come to abolish, kill, no more. I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. What did he come to do? This is the very last two words in my Bible of that verse. What does it say? Fulfill them. I like to say that Jesus fulfills the law full of meaning. The law was given to point to the reality that you and I are guilty people. You needed somebody on your behalf to step in on your behalf, to take the blow, to take the punishment. That's what the law, the law all points towards a Messiah, a redeemer to save you and to set you free. And Jesus said, I am that one and I'm not abolishing the law. I'm just now giving the law texture. I'm giving the law flesh. I'm giving the law muscle. I'm giving it uh, something that you can look at. I'm giving it meaning. 
And then he goes on, and you can read that a little bit more. Uh, and that's really Matthew 5. He keeps introducing new concept. Old law says this. Here, let me show you what it means in the new era. Old law says this. Let me put more meaning onto that. And so this whole, it's so Old Testament thing, uh, he's like, no, 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 no. Those Old Testament, you know what the, the word, the application in our era was given for? To produce endurance in your life. That's what it says in the text. For whatever was written in the former days, that'd be the Old Testament, uh, was written for our instruction. He's writing to those people saying, hey, all of that was written for our instruction to teach us. First Timothy tells us that everything in God's word is profitable for our lives. And he says it's for the endurance. I love that word endurance. It's one of James's favorite words in the book of James. It's the word hypomene. It's very fun to say you should say it. Say hypomene. Hypomene, say it. It's not convincing enough. Say it again. One more time. We're going to do it until everybody says it, okay? No, I'm just playing. Hypomene. Here's the idea, okay? The idea of hypomene is so cool. It's the power to withstand hardship or stress. It's the power to withstand uh, uh, hardship or stress. um, To... Uh, especially having the inner fortitude necessary to do it. Now, you and I don't have the inner fortitude. It's the Holy Spirit within us that gives us the ability to hypomenate, to uh, persevere is what the NIV says, to endure. And that, that, that what, what, what is interesting about this is what he's saying is, is that as you get in the Bible, this is powerful, as you open up God's word and you do your soaps or you do whatever you do, Bethmore Bible study, whatever it is, uh, you know, Oswald Chambers, I don't care what whatever it is, but you're getting into God's word. And as you do that, have you noticed that the Bible has a funny way of putting pressure on you? Have you noticed that? You're like, ah, that's what I mean, pressure. Whoa. Bible says that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharp enough to like be a scalpel and precision and like a sword to cut through bone and marrow. Sometimes I feel like when I read God's word, it's always like, anybody with me on that? See, when you read God's word, what it's doing is it's exposing the areas of your heart that you have yet to fully surrender to God. And so you're, 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 you're walking through this and it's showing you how to persevere in your relationship with God. And then it says that not only does the word of God produce the ability in you and in me to hypomene, to withstand the pressure that you're feeling, the spiritual exposure of that, what you need to surrender. And then not only does it do that, but you know what else it does? On the other side of the same coin, it's like a tender, loving friend that encourages you and comforts you on a rough day. Have you felt the two sides of that coin before? Have you felt God's word? It's like, and then it's like, come here, sweetheart. Now, God's word never says that to me, but, uh, but maybe, he says, maybe it says that to you. It's not that feminine is what I'm saying. I don't hear God that way. God's like, Aaron. He's very manly, bearded kind of guy, you know. I'm making that up. Well, actually, I'm not making that up. Revelation says he's got tattoos and uh, fierce and just unbelievable. So anyway, a whole nother day, a whole nother study. Uh, But this book was given to teach us. Uh, and through that careful study, it produces endurance, it produces this encouragement, this great comfort. And as we learn this new truth and these new truths in our lives, uh, then it produces hope. Uh, 
I love what biblical hope stands for. It is the reasonable and confident expectation of better days ahead. Hope is the reasonable and confident expectation of better days ahead. Now, put that into context to what Paul's talking about. He's talking about how to get along with people who you disagree with. And younger mentoring, older mentoring younger in the faith. And he's saying that as you get into God's word, as you live life with one another, it produces, it, sh- it teaches you, it grows you, it sharpens you, it encourages you, and it, uh, it comforts you. And then through that endurance and through that encouragement, it produces in you a new, fresh perspective. And that new and fresh perspective is that there are, comf- I am confident that with God, the lifter of my head and the one who I am focusing on, I I am very confident that my best days with God are not behind me, but they're in front of me. And my best days with these people, even though they're annoying the fire out of me right now, that my best days aren't behind me, even though it's a struggle in this moment. If I remain close to the Father, open His Word as it encourages me and produces endurance in me, it's going to produce this kind of hope that is supernatural, that rises above the muck and the mire of the confusion of the relationship. And we're going to long for hope. We're going to long for better days. And mature people, mature Christians, live in relationship like that. You and I live in relationship where we're longing for the better days. And then we begin, as our friend said back there, we model that we're longing for those better days. And we have those kind of hard conversations with people who might, we, we might disagree with. But we're walking towards, towards hope. So now he gets us back on track. He had a little sidetrack right there. And uh, he says, may, he starts a prayer here. May the God of endurance and encouragement, that's where you're going to get it, grant you or provide for you or give you, um, uh, may he grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus, that together you may have one voice glorify, that together you may with one voice glorify uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Now he moves into this, again, reiterating the idea that you and I are a family, that we're one. He desires this deep unity. Now, we've got to talk about this for a second because this unity piece is not uniformity. He's not talking about that you wear the same kind of clothes, you talk the same way, get the same kind of haircuts, ladies wear the same kind of makeup or whatever. He's not talking about this cultic feel where everybody has to be the same way. He's saying, no, 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 it's, 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 unity is not that. Unity is not uniformity. Unity is diversity moving the same direction. And so it's really the idea, he uses the word harmony. Did I use the illustration last week of a choir? Sweet, I was hoping I didn't do that. So in a choir, uh, what he's talking about with harmony is he's talking about uh, this extreme diversity of basses and tenors and altos and baritones and sopranos and every one of them have different tones. Every single one of them have different skill levels. Every single one of them have different ranges and a tenor man can sound really good by himself and a soprano woman can sound really good by herself and everything in between. All of them sound really, really good together. But when you get all that diversity steered 
steered in the same direction and everybody understands their roles and what they do. And now all of those parts sing their part as a choir. They take the diversity of the tenors and the sopranos and the altos and the basses and the baritones, all individuals, all with their own skill levels coming under the banner of one choir producing harmony together. And it's the most beautiful thing you've ever heard in your life. It's multiple voices coming together with their own skills and their own abilities producing one voice and we all get to enjoy that. And that is the body of Christ functioning the way that God wants us to. We all have different backgrounds, different journeys and where we are at with God in our maturity levels. We have different ranges and different things that are going on in our lives, but we come together and it's not about a solo over here and a solo over there. It's a one group solo with one voice producing one voice and out of that one voice produces unbelievable worship and we glorify God. God is most proud of us when we're operating in that way. In the Apostles' Creed or the Westminster Catechism, the question is asked, I was reading a book called uh, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, totally recommend that. Um, And in there, the question is, what is the chief end of man? Meaning, what in the world is man here for? (laughs) The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And believers throughout history have united under that truth that the chief end of every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl from eternity past and to eternity future as long as Jesus waits uh, and tarries until he comes back. The chief end of every human being with breath in their lungs and heart beating in their chest is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And when the church of Jesus Christ sets aside her differences and comes together and joins with one voice and worships God for who he is and what he has done for them, and we come with that interesting diversity and interesting story, and we blend together and produce this harmony, we are glorifying God. We're doing what we were created to do. And then that voice that we produce, it glorifies God. And you know what else it does? And we talked about this. But that voice attracts those who don't have what we have. It proves, and I said this last week, the gospel really does change people because we have no business getting along with one another. How do I know that? Because I'm married. First three years of your life were brutal, weren't they? You can be honest in church. Why is it brutal? Because it's like you're taking your world and her world and it's like, I mean, it's just an attack, you know? It just, yeah. But when you begin to lay aside your differences and you come together and each of you are not out for pleasing yourself but pleasing your partner and you learn to serve one another, what begins to happen? What happens? Harmony happens. And then everybody looks at you and go, man, I wish we had that kind of marriage. And you're thinking, I wish I had their kind of marriage. And, you know, I mean, everybody's doing that. I don't know if you knew that or not. Everybody's looking at your marriage going, that's so great. And then you're looking at theirs and going, theirs is so great. In reality, we're all just growing. Our harmony's getting better every year. Wouldn't you agree? I was pretty tone deaf first year. Whoo! <laughs> Very tone deaf. Now, about 13 years in, I'm getting a little better. Still pretty tone deaf, but uh, it's getting better. 
Amen. Somebody, don't leave me up here by myself. I appreciate that. So, so I have about eight minutes or so. And, uh, and, and I wanted to get to this verse right here, verse 7. Um, because this is, where, this is where it gets really, really good. Therefore, in light of, consequently, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another. Uh, you know what that word welcome means? It's pretty interesting, actually. It means to receive someone into your home. It means to receive somebody into your home. Now, I can't take this as my own. I don't know who this guy is where I heard this. So if you ask me afterwards, I have no idea. But it's super awesome. Uh, and he said, is uh, is actually a comedian. And uh, he said that, you know, um, have you ever noticed that when people knock on your door, what you do now? You don't answer it. Yeah, you're peeking through the blinds and you're running the other way and you're asking your wife, hey, did we invite anybody over? And your kids are running from every bedroom going, hey, what's going on? What? The door. That's all it is. It's the door, man. That's it. And uh, like nowadays, we don't like people just don't knock on people's door. Like in Oklahoma, if somebody knocks on your door, you hear this. And, you know, because, you know, you didn't invite anybody over. Somebody's cocking their shotgun, man. I mean, it's just not a good, not a good day. Uh, but now, if you remember, I grew up in the 80s. Uh, and so, uh, man, my family, we had block parties <laughs> at my house and in our neighborhood. And so it was not uncommon to hear somebody knock on our door. And four hours later, they're still there. Are you with me? Anybody like that? You know, maybe your mom had cookies made all the time that weren't for you, but they were for guests. Just if they were to come up. Did anybody grow up like that? Like they just had that. Oh, awesome. And so you can't have that. Why can't I have that? Well, because this is if anybody comes over. And so we got to make sure and have somebody. And so they just, hey, we were in the neighborhood. I hadn't seen the kids in a while. And uh, we just wanted to come and say, hey, I remember those days when I was a little like 10 year old boy. And I remember these people. Who are they? And my mom's like, I don't know. And I'm just playing. She didn't say that. But I mean, you remember that? So again, it's not like that now. So that's why it's hard for us to understand. But, but if you can go back to the good old days of like Back to the Future and all those kinds of things and fun music, I'm just seriously. Uh, and you go back to those days and people welcomed you into their home willingly, no matter what. And you just come and chill and have some sweet tea or whatever you do. Paul is saying to these new believers, welcome the people with whom you have even the greatest struggle with. They're still Christians. That's the context here. And welcome them into your home. Welcome them into your life like you would into your home. He says in chapter 14, verse 1, the exact same thing. He's concluding the entire conversation the same way that he started it. And he's saying, welcome them into your home. And, and, uh, and, and then he gets off to this point is that, uh, uh, welcome them as Jesus welcomed you. Huge point. Y'all remember what it was like when you came to Christ? Give me 30 seconds. Somebody tell me your testimony. What it was like when you came to Christ? How did God change you? What was going on? How did you meet Christ? And what's your life been like since? 30 seconds. Let's go. Come on, somebody do it real quick. There we go. High out of my mind on methamphetamine and heroin, and I saw somebody get beat half to death and said, there's no way I can restore my life unless I do it without a higher power. So, Amen. <laughs> Great. Not making that up either. Amen. Who else? Right here. Got to be quick. Got to be quick, guys. Come on. I'll try to be quick here. Um, 2010, uh, it was Christmas Eve. Uh, 
they had open a couple of presents. One of them was a hip, hungry hippos. I had a three-year-old child. Uh, I hadn't found my faith then. She never put anything in her mouth. That night, she put one of those little balls in her mouth, and it was dark in the room. I was putting her to bed, and I just saw her body convulsing. I picked her up, and I, you know, did whatever was natural. Um, I put her down. She was still struggling. I picked her up one more time, and in my head, I said, someone, please help me. And she coughed it up, and I said, mm. if there is somebody that I knew right then and there that that was something greater than me. Mm. And it changed my life. Awesome. Great story. Who else? One more. One more. Quick testimony. Anybody else? Okay, think about your story. We're done. That's good. Isn't that good to hear? So what Paul is telling you and telling me is don't ever forget how you came. That God stooped, met you in your mess, met you in your struggle, met you at your point of need, met you right where you were. He met you in your sin, he said earlier in the book of Romans. Met you right in the mess of all of that. And he saved you from that. And he's saying, as Jesus did that for you, you do that for those weaker brothers and sisters in your church. You don't expect them to be in the faith 20 years when they've been in for 20 minutes. You meet them right where they were. You'd walk them in what it means to be mature, to walk them in their relationship with God and show them how to study God's word. Show them that it's going to cost some time. Show them that it's going to be about serving. Show them what it looks like. Model it in your life and point them in the trajectory of following Jesus. And don't play roulette with their life and don't play it with yours. You play it together. And as Jesus welcomed you, you welcome them. And that's how we're going to get along with one another. That's how it's going to work. And he goes on a laundry list through verse 13 and gives examples of how Jesus is our greatest example of meeting us right where we were. He met the Jews right where they were. He met the Gentiles right where they were and gives you three or four verses that shows you exactly how he did that. This is how we get along. And I don't know about you, but this has been super helpful for me. Because the reality is, is being with people is hard. (laughs) Are you with me? Getting along with people is difficult. And honestly, which, and sadly, getting along with other Christians is some of the most difficult things to do in this life because we have strong convictions about things that matter to us. And But we've got to learn how to work and walk together. Amen? Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Uh, and we know that my word is power. Uh, it's powerless. It has no ability to do anything. Uh, so that's why we rely on your word. Hopefully tonight we got some insight uh, into what you've called us to do and called us to be. And so God, we, uh, uh, we ask tonight that you would continue to move. Uh, we know that a part of a thing like this is uh, that the, it's, it's vibrant. It's, um, it's a supernatural experience of talking about God's word. It's not, uh, you know, uh, mechanical and mathematical. It's not an equation. It's really uh, more of an art thing, really, is what it feels like. And, it's, and so what we know in that is that after we experience this, it's not over. Uh, you continue to move. So as we leave today into this lobby and into the parking lot and on our drive home and as we're laying in bed, may we reflect on what we've learned over the last uh, several months in the book of Romans. And uh, as we come next week to conclude it, May you just do an unbelievable job of capping this off uh, with the 
powerful uh, conclusion as to what you want us to do in light of what we've in light of what we've learned. Father, thank you for being faithful to us. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name, amen. Guys, thank you for letting me share with you. I really appreciate it.